Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the Online Fraudcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. <laughs> I've been in the anti-fraud space for over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster, committing several different types of online fraud until I ended up on the Secret Service Most Wanted list. Spent some time in prison, and since I've gotten out, I've dedicated my life to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the type of people that I used to be. And today is our first official podcast. It's um, yes. <laughs> our introduction podcast where we want you to get to know us better. We'll share our backgrounds, why the topic of fraud is so important to us, and we'll share some of the topics you'll learn more about in future episodes. Brett, why don't you tell our listeners a little more about your background and the journey you took to now become a cybercrime expert? Well, it has been a long journey, Carissa, as, as you're aware. Me, today I'm considered a, a cybercrime, identity theft, online fraud, basically all types of fraud expert. But to get there, well, I took the, I guess you could say it was the roundabout way. I was a criminal for many, many years. I began my life of crime at 10 years old. Uh, me and my sister, we had a, an abusive mother and a negligent mother who used to abandon us and leave us at home for days at a time. And in order to survive, me and my sister, we started shoplifting food. Found out shortly thereafter, once our mom found out, and she actually joined in with us with shoplifting, found out that mom was kind of this fraudster by nature. She engaged in any type of fraud that you could possibly imagine, burning homes, burning cars, faking accidents, uh, taking a fall in a grocery store and, and trying to sue the grocery store. I mean, nothing was too big, nothing was too small. There was one time that she partnered with a couple of people and stole this D9 bulldozer, 108,000 pounds, this piece of heavy equipment. So that's, that's as large as it got. It got so small, the, the minimal crimes, even that, she would buy a empty uh, medicine capsules and fill it with, you know, harmless powder and try to pass it off to druggies who just didn't know any better. Nothing was too big. Nothing was too small. That's, that's what I grew up in was that. Uh, my sister, other than the shoplifting, she didn't really do anything. I, after she, after they were all caught, we were all caught. She never broke the law after that. Me, as I got older, I got more and more involved in the types of fraud and crime that my mom was committing um, until finally I financed my first marriage in 1994 by faking a car accident and claiming the insurance money on that. Um, shortly after that, found the internet, 
my life of crime on the internet was, I mean, it's just, just weird stuff. I would uh, buy Beanie Babies and dye them to look like more expensive Beanie Babies and try to pass them off to people. Then I would, uh, another one, I bought a case of baseballs and I forged Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's name on them and, and sold those. What happened was, is, is I, as I was committing those types of crime, I was identified by cops, but the, the level of crime was so small that I never was arrested. I just got a stern talking to. Well, that, that wasn't enough for me. But I learned as I went along how to, how to stay more secure, more anonymous online until finally I started pirating software. Pirating software turned into uh, installing mod chips or turning on all the channels on cable boxes, which finally turned into programming satellite DSS cards, the 18-inch satellite systems. I, would, I started pirating that signal. I started making so much money, or I would say stealing so much money. Got worried about it. Tried to find a fake ID online, thought I found a guy, sent him $200, sent him my picture, and he ripped me off. <laughs> and, uh, no honor he, among thieves. <laughs> none at all. None at all. And that, that got me so bad. It, it angered me so bad that the response was a website called shadowcrew.com. And shadowcrew is the precursor of today's darknet market. So if you look at the way that modern cybercrime is ran today, the marketplaces, the larger communication channels like the forums and everything else, that began with a website that me and two other guys set up called Shadow Crew. We laid the foundation for what is modern cybercrime. And myself, I was involved in, in working out how card not present fraud would, would, would work to this day, uh, account takeovers, phishing. We were real big on phishing. I mean, any type of financial cybercrime, we engaged in fake identities, stealing online, online personas, everything else. Shadow Crew made the front cover of Forbes in August of 2004. October 26th, that same year, Secret Service arrested 33 people in six countries in six hours. And I was the only guy that got away. They uh, picked me up a few months later, offered me a job. I went to work for them. And the day I got out working for them, I started breaking the law again. They found out. I went on a cross-country run, got placed on the United States Most Wanted list, arrested, escaped from prison, and arrested again and served up my time. And the reason I'm telling everybody this is I want you to understand that me being re rehabilitated, I mean, it was, it was this thing where um, it wasn't really prison that did that. My sister, who, who goes on from that, that one incident of shoplifting, she goes on to be this just great person, this great parent, teacher. She never broke the law after that, but she and my current wife are the people who actually got me redeemed, who, who, who gave me a chance at redemption. So um, my sister had disowned me. After I escaped, she comes back into my life, and, and it, all it took from her was to say she loved me. And that's what she said. And uh, after that, I don't get to see her again for five years. So me being away from her really caused me to change my mind and understand that, you know, my life of crime hadn't been because of my parent and my upbringing. It had been because of my choice. So uh, I got out, could not get a job, just could not. And I had all this knowledge on cybercrime and fraud, and I mean, to this day, I'm still... And, and anyone who, who has worked with me can tell you I'm still one of the top guys of the world as far as knowledge of cybercrime and online fraud and identity theft goes. I couldn't get a job. I wasn't allowed to touch a computer for the first three years and got to the point I didn't have any money. I was on food stamps. I was bumming money from my, from my dad, from my sister, and didn't have anything. And it, it got to the point that I had a cat, had enough money to feed him. And I didn't have enough money to, to buy tissue paper for the bathroom. I ended up shoplifting toilet paper just because I, I was refusing to go back to that life of fraud. Michelle, my current wife, she met me at um, about that time, found me. I didn't find her. But we ended up starting dating. I moved in with her a few months later. Finally found a job. And the only job I could get was manual labor. I was pushing a lawnmower. 
working my butt off. And if, if anybody's ever seen me, you can tell by looking at me, I am not a manual labor type of guy. <laughs> so, you know, I would come in, I'd pass out, wake up the next morning, take a shower and go at it again. And I was working 10 hours a day, $400 a week, loving it until lawn season ended. And when it ended, uh, the reason I commit crime is because of my, my childhood. I'm always scared that I'm, I'm going to be abandoned, that the people I love are going to leave me. So I I try to buy love. I try to always do everything in the house, you know, for everybody. I don't want them to do anything because I don't want to lose them. Well, my job ended. Michelle was the only person working. And that tick, that tail, that reason I commit crime pops up in my head. And I'm like, I have to do something. I have to provide. I have to do something. So what I did was, is idiot Brett here, he gets online, he buys some stolen credit card data, starts ordering food, and he gets caught. I figured I could at least provide food. And just like everyone does, it's at some point they get caught, and I got caught. I go back to prison, and Michelle, she, uh, we weren't married at the time, but she stayed by me. She never questioned anything, just was always there for me. And that's when I found out that Michelle didn't need me for what I could give her. She needed me for, for me. And that's the only time I'd ever had that in my life was at, at that point. So I got out, and I mean, I, I was done. No taste for breaking the law again. But if you looked at my resume, who's going to hire this guy? used to rip off, you know, governments, businesses, banks, everything in the world. So I, I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, uh, let me see what I can do. And I get online and I contact this guy named Keith Malarski for the FBI. He's this uh, cybercrime super cop involved with all these cybercrime busts and everything else and knew who I was. So I'm like, hey, man, I, I really appreciate everything you've done. By the way, <laughs> you know, I'd like to do things legal. And the guy, he, he believed me. He didn't hesitate at all. He, he took me under his wing. He gave me references, advice on what to do. To this day, he still does the same. And I'm very fortunate. That's, that's the only reason I'm here talking to everyone today. And that's why I'm partnered up with Carice. Carice took me under her wing. And it, it just continued from there. It was one of these things where, uh, you know, by making the choice of not to break the law anymore, to go legal, I've been given the opportunity to help people out. And, and today, I use all the knowledge that I've had from Basically, you know, 20 years of cybercrime, but another decade of, of real-world physical crime on top of that. I use all that knowledge today to, to help protect people and businesses from the type of person that I used to be. And I'll, I will, you know, I'm dedicated to trying to make things safer for everyone in general. Yeah, I mean, if anyone can't tell, Brett is one of the most genuine people I've ever met and genuinely remorseful and also very, very smart in this industry and provides a level of information and just expertise that no one else can. We're very lucky to be able to learn from him on this pod and um, all the future podcasts as well. But, but I am not the only expert here. You <laughs> yourself have had many, many years of expertise in the field of online fraud and protecting merchants. <laughs> My backstory is not as exciting or <laughs> just ups and downs as yours, but I've managed to stay on this side of the fence of the anti-fraud side of it. When I tell people I'm in cybercrime, I quickly say, I, I prevent it, not <laughs> commit it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, again, my background isn't, it's a you're a tough act to follow, Brett, as far as background, but I have been in the cybercrime prevention, um, credit card fraud prevention world for over 13 years in various capacities. To give people a little bit of a background of why online merchants need 
fraud prevention and why it's so important specifically for online merchants is if I were to steal your credit card, and this is obviously a huge if because that's not anything I've ever done, but if I were to steal your credit card and use it in store where it's swiped, then the bank pays you back. But what a lot of people don't know is if your card, your credit card or any payment method is used online, that online merchant has to pay you back. It's billions of dollars. I've heard that chargebacks alone are $22 billion to card not present merchants, which is online, mobile, and phone orders. So knowing that, that it's millions of dollars to businesses and you know small businesses, I've seen some companies go under. Big businesses, it's more than a nuisance. It's a large line item. I've worked with companies that have had to have some pretty Difficult conversations with their shareholders on shareholder meetings. So it does get quite a bit of visibility. With that background, I started out in this industry, you know, over 13 years ago. I was a single mom and looking for a job and um, had a friend that worked at a call center for a credit card processing company. Honestly, working in the help desk gave me so much foundational knowledge about how the credit card system works and who the players are and the pricing and chargebacks and fraud and all these other things. And from the help desk, I was promoted about a year and a half in to risk analyst. And I was provided, I think it was either because I was naive or the youngest one there, but I was given the Silicon Valley bank portfolio for that merchant processor. They did all the credit card processing for Silicon Valley bank merchants. And this was- was kind of like a trial by fire, huh? Oh yeah, that's my whole career. My whole career has been, let's throw Carice in the deep end and she'll figure it out. But I love that. So I worked with a lot of e-commerce companies, traditionally all e-commerce, coming out of Silicon Valley in 2006 to 2008. A lot of brands that are around now, as well as ones that didn't make it and helped them create strategies to reduce the amount of fraud on their websites, as well as educate them on fraud from that perspective. I moved on from that to manage my own fraud team and kind of practice what I was preaching for a startup that was called Bag Borrower Steel, and they rented handbags online, handbags, accessories, sunglasses. Brett and I have had several conversations about how appealing that is to a fraudster. You know, when somebody's using a stolen credit card, they're on a budget too. They just don't always know what that budget is. They don't know what the credit card limit is. So if they're able to rent a handbag that's valued at over $20,000 for, uh, you know, only a couple hundred dollars for a week in quotations. And then there so, weren't. So yeah. 20,000. Is that a Birkin bag? Oh, no. Uh, Birkins can be, I mean, the most expensive Birkin that they had was 43,000. How much could you rent that for? The $43,000 one? Yeah. Over $1,000 a week, about $1,000 a week. Well, but that was my golden goose. So we had a lot of attempts, but (laughs) only time I protected that thing with my life. (laughs) I actually joked, I got my picture taken with it once and I said, it's getting its picture taken with me because I've protected it so so much, not the other way around. (laughs) And actually the only person who rented it legitimately was Michelle Obama's best friend from college and she was attending the inauguration. Ah. I knew her mother's maiden name, her credit score. I knew everything about her. <laughs> because you knew, you knew that that if a criminal can rent a bag for a thousand dollars a week, instead of trying to find a card that's got forty three thousand dollars available on it, that is much easier for him to do that. 
Absolutely. And there were three factors that contributed to really it being trial by fire for me in setting up this fraud department. And one was it was right at the beginning and middle of the recession in the United States. So a lot of people were living outside their means and wanted to continue to live outside their means. So renting a handbag, you know, was a great option. But we also had to make sure that they could pay us next month. Additionally, eBay was at its height. And so there definitely were a lot of people who, you know, before I implemented a fraud department who would rent 20 handbags for a week and they would never return them. Oh, it was painful. All the write-offs and everything. And then the third was just there not being a lot of... There really wasn't any fraud providers then. There was one, but it certainly wasn't flexible for the business model. It was such a unique business model. Bagwire Steel was the very first rental company online prior to Rent the Runway and all these others that have learned from a lot of the mistakes that that company made in various areas, not just fraud. But in that role, I was able to practice what I had preached to merchants and I was still able to reduce fraud by 97% in the first year. I mean, it was a lot of hard work and a lot of, you know, tenacity and thinking outside the box and making do with what we had. But it certainly was such a great foundation for me to lead to the rest of my career. That's like, you know, as a credit card thief, as a former credit card thief, that's like, you know, you find a site like Bag Bar on Steel and you see that they're renting these bags. So you try to hit it as hard as you can. and, And when you find out that they don't really have a fraud department, it's like wide open. So you share it with everyone that you know. So then they start trying to steal everything that 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 company has as well. But what happens is is when someone like you comes in, and you're pretty unique on that, but when someone comes in and and stops 97% of the fraud, at that point, it goes throughout the entire fraud community or the cybercrime community of, okay, this site is no longer good. It's dead. (laughs) Just try someplace else. And that's what happened. (laughs) Well, I really wish that I could see a post like that because I would hang that on my wall with pride. (laughs) (laughs) I do know other companies that have found those on the dark web and literally frame them in their office. (laughs) After my time at Backbar Steel, I was hired by Expedia to implement their friendly fraud chargeback process. Really what that meant is that we started to see, especially a product of the recession, but it's still something that online merchants deal a lot with, is consumers who learn that they can get their money back by calling their bank and issuing a chargeback. And, Uh you know, a lot of them think that their bank is paying for it and they pay their credit card fees and everything else. So no big deal. I'll just claim that this didn't happen. I'll claim that this wasn't what I wanted. I'll say that my card was stolen when I really did take a $10,000 vacation. Um, (laughs) I will stay right there that this is not something I would ever advise consumers (laughs) to do. And there's a lot of merchants that are starting to hit back either through filing for collections if you do this or putting you on a blacklist and not allowing you to make purchases on their website again. So not something I would recommend recommend, but I was able to implement a unique process for Expedia and help them save millions of dollars. And to my understanding, up until even a few months ago, they were still using my process. So that really helped me better understand travel fraud and digital goods, which is so much different than when you are shipping something. And through my time at Bag Bar Steel and at Expedia, I had started to speak at conferences and share my knowledge. And I just really became it became so important to me to have merchants talk to other merchants. And I valued it so much. I learned so much. It just became a passion of mine. So after my time at Expedia, I did work with Etsy on 
setting up their chargeback process prior to going live with them accepting payments directly. And I worked with a few other companies as well. But after that, I started to more dedicate my career to supporting merchants. And the last five or six years of my career has been in this supporting role. One was with the main trade association for e-commerce companies in risk. And that had over 450 of the largest merchants internationally name a brand. And I've probably worked with them directly either in that role or my current role. My 13-year-old daughter actually loves to play that game with her friends, which, uh, you know, Name a company. I bet my mom knows someone there. <laughs> I'm not a bragger, so but it's you know certainly something that she loves to do. But I was really honored that that had that opportunity and really gained a lot of relationships and friendships with a lot of those companies. And I became the go-to person that when a company didn't know who to ask a question about fraud or payments, they contacted me. And if I didn't know the answer, I usually knew someone that did. And I created education and unique programs to help those merchants because, I mean, at the end of the day, credit card fraud is something that changes all the time and you'll learn that from future episodes of our pod. And so it's so important for businesses to talk to each other. I mean, obviously, like Brett said, the bad guys are talking to each other. So good guys need to too. And that's really what I've tried to facilitate. The last three years, I've been working with another company called cardnotpresent.com and they also have the CNP Expo. CNP Expo is an annual conference for hundreds of online merchants to come and learn from each other as well as from experts. And the publication cardnotpresent.com has over 25,000 subscribers internationally who learn about about industry news that way. And that's been my contribution kind of at the macro level to our industry. And I've also gained a lot of new relationships and friendships through merchants that participate in CMP as well. And additionally, I have my own consultancy and I work with merchants to help them learn the best strategy to fight fraud as well as to prevent chargebacks. Not all chargebacks are fraud. Not all fraud becomes chargebacks, though most of them do. So that's really what I do. One of the biggest benefits I've gotten out of working with CMP is meeting my podcast co-host. What? <laughs> this is where we talk about how we met, Brett, our funny story, how you know, I might have given you a little bit of a hard time uh, when little, we first met. A little. At one point, you called me... Kim Jong Un. Oh, stop it. <laughs> that was way after we met. And All right, but you still did it. <laughs> to be fair, I actually don't think I said the name. I think what I said was whenever our military and government needs to learn something about another side, another country or military or what they're doing, what their strategy is, all that, usually someone defects to the other side to learn. And believe what I said was it's like someone <laughs> defecting from North Korea, <laughs> how valuable you are to this industry and to consumers as well to hear from somebody who committed fraud and who knows exactly how fraud is still being committed because you're still very active and involved in dark web forums, but only for informational purposes only. Yeah, that's um. true. <laughs> I, mean, I, I do a lot of work with uh, security companies, with Fortune 500 companies. I consult with the FBI. And you're right. I was, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just rigging you a little bit there. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty unique in that um, I stepped away from online fraud. The, uh, the profit potential there for uh, knowledgeable thieves is really high. And it's easier now to commit online crime than it ever has been. I mean, the, the amount of information that's out there, the tools that are used, everything else. 
honestly, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I, once you, once I came to that conclusion that, you know, I'm the master of my own fate and I made the choices that put myself in prison and also that caused harm to family, friends, people that I didn't even know. Once, once I came to that realization, there's no way, no way that I could ever, ever go back to that. And then, you know, so many people have put, put faith in me. You, you, you were the person that, that found me, that gave me my first paying position. The amount of gratitude that I've got for that is, uh, I mean, it, it can't be put in words. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming. I mean, to sit back and think of it, it's just, it's really something to consider the, where I've come from, the type of person that I used to be, and to have people like you, people like the FBI, Microsoft, all these other companies that have reached out and actually put faith in me, that, that have given me a chance to do good. I, there's no way, no way that I could ever repay that. Well, I'm proud to, you know, say that I, well, that CMP was the first company to give you your first legitimate job in this industry. I think, you know, I'm also proud on a personal level to have been able to help you. And because I see the gift you have to this industry and to consumers and to everyone to better learn and I did give you a hard time at first because I mean, oh, you had evaded the Secret Service. I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> Tell them how you how you found my profile and what you thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> so both Brett and I are pretty active on LinkedIn, and uh, I got a f- connection request from him um, a couple years ago. Now uh, it's almost been two years. It's probably about a year and a half now. I think it was November of 2016. So I get this connection request and I always check people out, make sure they're legitimate and, you know, not a bot or anything like that. And so I looked and I see that this guy has shadow crew down as his work experience. (laughs) And I mean, me being in fraud prevention for so long, I knew exactly who shadow crew was. And I was like, wow, this guy either has huge cojones or he is lying but I reached out to him and, you know, kind of started talking a little bit. And I had it in my mind at first that I've always wanted to have a former cyber criminal speak at one of the conferences that I organized. But it's so rare. Like, I cannot tell you guys how rare it is to have a cyber criminal who is fully reformed and wants to dedicate themselves. I mean, it hasn't happened in probably 30, 40 years. The last person to do it, you know, does have a movie about themselves. Like. but it really was about check fraud. It wasn't online fraud. And so there's really been no one who's either, you know, out of prison or who is genuine. Um, Every once in a while you'll come across, and I know you've come across even more than I have, people who kind of want to straddle both sides of the fence. They keep committing crime and fraud until they can hopefully get, you know, this lucrative consulting gig that they think exists. But you know, in order to let you in and talk to the hundreds of online merchants that I knew would be at my conference, I needed to be able to trust that you wouldn't take that information and post it on the dark web. I needed to trust that you wouldn't take advantage of them. If I give you the seal of approval, I want people to know that I've done my due diligence, that I'm not going to put them in a bad situation. I mean, I have now introduced you to a lot of really big companies and Huge company. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because it's because of the background work I did with calling Keith, with calling other people who vouched for you, and with honestly having a lot of conversations with you and, and not just listening to what you said, but how you said it. 
that gave me the faith that we could invite you. And you were the keynote speaker at CMP 2017. And you just spoke at CMP 2018. And uh, <laughs> scared <laughs> everyone to death. You did. Yeah. <laughs> Brett actually brought someone in the audience's social security number to show. He gave me permission. He, he did. <laughs> he did. And, I did not give you permission because you didn't ask me because I think you knew better. Um, I was in the other room interviewing a very large quick service restaurant uh, in another session at the same time. And so you had told me you were going to buy the president of the United States' information <laughs> because it's available on the dark web for, what, $3, $4? Which I did that last week at another conference. <laughs> Oh, great. Uh, we, we should definitely say that when you do that, you do have the blessing of the FBI and you're not doing it for any, you're doing it for educational purposes and right, definitely exactly. not because you're exploiting it or using it. And I do think that what, you know, you showed at the conference was just how easy it is. The second or third person that you asked was their information was available for $3 on the dark web and you were able to purchase it in front of everyone. Yeah, and you know, I, I do that. I, I give part of my presentation is showing people that uh, a lot of people understand that that fraud and identity theft and cybercrime is a problem, but they also think, well, my information's not out there yet. The the mm -hmm. truth of the matter is, is that everyone's information is out there. The the idea of keeping it bottled up and making sure it does, it's not released. Well, no, it's already out there. Last year alone. We had over 1,500 reported breaches. That's just the reported ones. Wow. 2.6 billion records compromised. And that's just what's been reported. We know it's much higher than that. So that's just for last year. I mean, everyone's information is already compromised. Now it's how do you protect yourself? How do you protect your organization or your business against the type of fraudsters that are out there? Well, and that's exactly why we've created this podcast. We know that together we have kind of both sides of the coin. Brett can talk about how fraud is perpetrated, what's being done right now, both for consumers and for businesses. And I can talk a lot about the prevention side and, and strategies. And we have so much information. I mean, I've been very lucky to, to know, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what a lot of companies are doing, what they're not doing, what they're seeing consumers do that is kind of foolish and not protecting themselves, all kinds of things like that. I have that insight that I want to share with people. And Brett obviously has, you know, so much knowledge, both from his own experience, as well as being, he really is quite the legend on the dark web, his alias is. And so he is invited to a lot of dark web forums and he gets that information and is able to share it. And so that's why really we wanted to create the podcast because like Brett said, it's not if, it's when you're going to be impacted by this, when your credit card is stolen or your identity is stolen or you know, there's so many sophisticated phishing attacks or whatever it is. There's so many different methods. And I hear it all the time from friends and family and even random strangers that ask me what I do for a living. You know, we hear stories about how people are impacted or people ask us how they can protect themselves. And that's really why we wanted to create the podcast is to help both consumers and businesses better understand it and be able to benefit from our knowledge base in a way that's just so easily accessible for people. So that's really why we're doing this. Just a little not housekeeping, but just, you know, basic understanding. We really felt like it was important to offer this information to both consumers and to businesses. But we know that you guys need two different sets of information. So we'll have some podcasts that 
are more geared towards consumers and other podcasts that are more geared to online businesses. If you, I mean, everyone's a consumer, so there's that part. But, you know, if you're a consumer and you're interested how to know how online businesses are protecting themselves or how they should be protecting themselves or what you need to know or what businesses care about, uh, please do listen. We just wanted to separate it out so we don't lose anyone. But I think it's important to note that really at the end of the day, we just want to help you guys. I think there's so much information. And I can say after recording a few of the future episodes already, we're doing this a little backwards, the wonders of technology. I've learned so much from Brett just even on these episodes. And even though we've been friends for a year and a half and we talk probably weekly, I've learned so much from him. So I think I'm really excited for you guys to learn all of that from him as well. But I understand that. One of the things you'll find out by listening to us is that Carice does not give herself nearly enough credit. <laughs> she is, uh, Carice is one of these just scary good individuals about countering fraud. I mean, when she says that she has worked with every company, she means that. She has worked with every single company and saved many of these companies millions upon millions of dollars. She understands how to counter fraud so when you're listening to us, you know, you're going to get both sides of it. You're going to get the side of the former criminal turned professional security consultant, me. With that, I come with the hands-on experience of not only committing crime, but also building the foundation of, of modern cybercrime. So I understand those dynamics of crime better than almost anyone else. I mean, there may be people out there who understand it better than me, but they're serving another 20 years in prison. Right. Well, right. and none of them were called the original internet godfather either. Well, there is that. <laughs> but Carice has had the opportunity of, of, she didn't even mention that she worked with Facebook and it's when it first started, when, when Zuckerberg had what, two, three employees? Two employees in his loft apartment, yes. In his loft apartment. <laughs> now he's got, he, he basically owns one of the Hawaiian islands. So... <laughs> She, she has been there from the start. She has founded so many groups, has helped so many people that the benefit of this podcast is that you get both sides. You, 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 you'll be able to get an understanding of cybercrime, online fraud, identity theft that really hasn't been available before. And we're also going to talk a lot about how you can protect yourself, how you can protect your kids. But it's something that I haven't seen anyone talk about it. And it's one of the, it is the fastest growing type of fraud there is. Kids being used as targets for identity theft. A lot of times they don't know that they're victims until they apply for college loans or their first credit card. And so we'll be diving into all that stuff and talking about you know, why does this type of fraud happen? How can you protect yourself? And then if it does happen to you, what to do? I think too many people call their bank and expect to have, you know, the magic answer. And there's really not a lot of resources out there. So we know that you really can't rely on banks or government or businesses to protect you. Businesses know this, that they're, it's on them to protect consumers' information as well as to protect themselves against credit card fraud. And we want to be the helpers. I think Brett and I both have a passion for that. Really, our knowledge has no value if we don't share it. And so that's, you know, why we're doing this. Brett, before we wrap up the introduction, can you talk a little bit about why cybercrime is growing so much and why it's so important for consumers and online merchants to be more informed and vigilant than ever? Sure. So what we see is when I, when I ran Shadow Crew, when Shadow Crew was shut down by the federal government and, and Interpol and everything else, we ended with 4,000 members. That was what we had on site, were 4,000 people dedicated to ripping other people off or other businesses mm -hmm. off. 
Last year, the largest website, the largest criminal website was shut down. It was called Alpha Bay. It was shut down July 5th of last year. When it ended, it had 240,000 members. Wow. So numbers have not slowed. They've increased and they continue to increase to this day. The reason is because cybercrime has gotten so much easier. It's gotten more refined. It, it started out as, a, as an individual trying to break the law. Then that individual grouped with other people, so it became a group. Then it turned into a business. Well, it's no longer a business. Cybercrime is not a business anymore. Cybercrime is its own economy. Mm. You go to these groups or these websites, and you see that there's there's all these different dynamics that are going on of cashiers, of, of teaching environments, of people trying to learn, of businesses being set up, of people running different types of businesses on that forum. So that you'll see businesses of people selling information or people uh, pulling credit reports or selling credit cards or counterfeit items or any number of things like that. And you see people buying that and trying to learn how to use it. So it's its, its own economy now. The problem is, is that as that economy's grown, the tools that criminals use have continued to grow as well. So that now you, can, you have any number of off-the-shelf items or tools that somebody who has no idea how to break the law can come in, buy an off-the-shelf product, buy some credit card information, and immediately start committing crime. If he doesn't know how, he can buy a tutorial for $50. If he's not confident with the tutorial, he can take an online class taught by a professional fraudster for $600. The class lasts six weeks. The professional walks the newbie through every step hand in hand on how to commit the fraud. And if the newbie can't profit by that, the criminal then gives the money back. He'll actually refund the tuition at that point. That's the organization that happens today. What you see is, is that cybercrime happens because it's not a failure of one system. It's a failure of many systems. So what happens is, is someone knows about the failure of a system or a chain of systems. He partners with other people that make him more efficient so that you have a group of people exploiting multiple systems to hit one specific area and profit by that. And it's that networking, it's that sharing of information, it's that ease of access to tools, product, everything else that has made cybercrime really explode all of a sudden. Wow. And you make it sound so easy. I would never want anyone to think, wow, maybe I should change careers. Um, oh, no, it, 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 don't, <laughs> don't never think that I'm trying to, to talk somebody into that. I, I have... Uh, Almost every presentation that I give, I show some, what has happened to many of the associates that I've worked with. And that, that was associates from Russia, from Ukraine, from India, Turkey, everything else. And, and every single one of these people, I ended up with seven and a half years in prison. A friend of mine ended up with a 30-year sentence. Another guy ends up with two 20-year sentences. One kid commits suicide instead of going to prison. Mm. It never, it never ends well for a cyber criminal. They'll either get caught, they'll end up dead. You know, if they get caught, they go to prison. Well, prison's not even the worst part. I mean, when you get out, you have the mm -hmm. stigma of being a convicted felon. Well, you're a convicted financial felon. So getting a job is almost impossible. No one, no one is going to hire you to basically control their money or have access to their money or information. And that's every single business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're stuck with manual labor at that point. I've been fortunate that you know, people took me under their wing. People uh, gave me a chance to do good. And, and today I work toward raising awareness, toward consulting businesses and people on how to protect themselves against online fraud, cybercrime and identity theft. Right. I think you're definitely the exception and the rule, like I said earlier, for sure. And a lot of that is just because you're so genuine. And actually, Brett, you know, we're launching this podcast July 4th. What are you doing July 5th? Where are you going to be? Well, I, I have been invited to Paris to give a TED Talk. 
Ooh la la is what I want to say to that. <laughs> the actual speech that I'm giving is um, talking about the perception of reality being more important than reality itself. Mm. So people's perception of the truth compared to what the actual truth is. So we're talking about fake news, phishing, social engineering, things like that. I'm so excited. I mean, honestly, knowing you for a year and a half and being the first person, you know, somebody who can literally brag about being the first person to hire you to be a public speaker. I'm so proud that in, you know, less than 18 months, you're on the TED stage. It's so exciting. I was floored by it. I really was. <laughs> I, I, had, I was like, Ted, really? Me? <laughs> Ted who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, by listening to this pod, now you get to hear somebody who's been on the TED stage. How awesome is that? Not too bad. We'll get you on there pretty soon. You, you right. need to be on there. Uh-huh. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely do speak at conferences, generally uh, industry conferences, but I know you and I have talked about doing a few together uh, in the near future. So Absolutely. It's coming. No doubt. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, in case you guys can't tell, like Brett and I do have a genuine friendship. And I think that, you know, really at the end of the day, after having hours long conversations and knowing that I knew people that would really benefit from hearing both sides of our conversations, we knew that, you know, the podcast is the way to go. It's the best way for us to reach as many people as possible while also balancing our own busy schedules. You know, Brett's busy consulting and speaking. I'm busy consulting and and writing and doing some other things. So, you know, really this is the best. It's a win-win for all of us. So in addition to all of the topics that we discussed that we're going to talk about for consumers, on the podcasts that are dedicated for online businesses or CNP businesses, as we said, we're going to talk a lot about carding, about the life cycle of a fraudster, how they begin and where they start. And so you can kind of determine where your company is in that trajectory. Are you dealing with experienced fraudsters or are you dealing with noobs, as they say? You know, just yeah. to add into that, here, here's what business is listening to us. There's no such thing as your business is not a target, <laughs> right? The truth of the matter is, is if you have a business that has a product or service that makes money, a fraudster can and will make money off that same product or service. So you are a target. Absolutely a good point. And honestly, there's a lot more than payment fraud too. There's also content abuse, cheating and stealing, promo code abuse. And there's so many different things, refund scams, all of those things that your online business, big or small, is subject to. We'll definitely talk about this in future podcasts, but I have literally worked with so many companies and sometimes I still go, you guys have fraud? <laughs> You'd think that I would <laughs> that I would know by now, but I recently had a client that was a quick service restaurant that it took me a hot second to be like, people steal food? And that's actually something we talk about in the next podcast, Focus for Merchants. Brett will talk about how and why he had a chest freezer full of crab legs when he was <laughs> using stolen credit cards. But it never ceases to amaze me just the ingenuity and resourcefulness of online criminals and how they can exploit businesses. And honestly, as the big guys get better and better and more adapted to these new methods of fraud, it trickles down to the small guys. So if you're a small business owner and you accept payments online, it's important for you to listen to those things too. Yeah. So I mean, in addition to those things, we'll also obviously talk about account takeover. It's something that any online business with accounts is probably dealing with in one way or another. And we'll talk about, you know, how to 
keep your business safe from just all kinds of fraud. So we want to make sure that, like I said before, that we're providing information for both sets of victims, honestly, because that's, you know, really you guys are the victims of cybercrime and we want to help with that. So with that, I sure hope that you are walking away from this podcast with a greater understanding of who Brett and I are, as well as what you can look forward to in the future. Well, we should probably wrap this intro episode up so we can get recording other future episodes for everyone. We are so excited to be sharing our knowledge and experience with you in, in our upcoming episodes, and, and we hope it's interactive. And we hope that you feel free to you know, reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or through email. You can find us at onlinefraudcast.com or onlinefraudcast on any of those platforms. As well, you can email us at info at onlinefraudcast.com. Honestly, because we're new, we would love for you to subscribe to Online Fraudcast to be alerted when a new episode is out. And tell your friends, rate and review us where you can. That'll help others learn about these topics. And really, that's what our mission is. So please help us complete that mission. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.